That was excellent. Thank you so much, Holly. That was awesome. Thank you. And thank you all for leading us in music. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Sunday mornings. Thank you for Sundays in general, God. We thank you that uh, you, have, you have taught us that on the first day of the week we should meet together, gather together. We should look to your word and set our attention toward you. And Father, we need that. And so we pray that today, God, us coming here would be worship to you, God. We also pray it would be good for us. And that we would draw closer to you today. That we would think about what the truth is and what it demands of us. We would think about what it means to uh, believe in Christ and what it means to turn to you for forgiveness, confessing sin, turning away from sin. God, we pray that all of that would happen here today. And that we would be built up. And we ask your blessing on your word now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 938 there in the pew Bible. That black Bible there in the pew is page 938. would be Mark chapter 15. would like for you to follow along. I had been really <clears throat> excited thinking that the very first sermon of 2018 in our church would be on the resurrection of Jesus from Mark chapter 16. And we fell just one passage short. So we're not quite there yet. That'll be next week. The second sermon of 2018 will be uh, the resurrection of Jesus. But we're going to finish chapter 15 today with the burial of Jesus. Last week, the final, see it sounded great, didn't it? The last of 2017, the death of Jesus. And the first of 2018, the living Jesus, right? Out with the old, in with the new, you know, that sort of idea, but it didn't work out. Um, Jesus died in the passage last week where he's crucified on the cross, that was December 31st. Now here we are in 2018 with the burial of Jesus. And next week we'll go into chapter 16 with the resurrection. We've been in Mark for a long time, haven't we? And for those of you that attend regularly or even somewhat regularly, you've been able to keep up and follow along. And that's really good. That's how God has designed us. Listen, there's a lot of different ways to grow as a Christian, but at the very, listen to me, please. At the very core of what it means to grow as a Christian means to understand his word better. Okay? If you really want to grow as a Christian, you need to understand his word better. Now, there's countless ways. You can listen to songs that point you to it. You can focus on ways that you need to obey God's word more. You can focus on being what the Bible tells you to be. You can work on stopping, uh, disobeying the things it says to stop doing. You can talk to friends. You can go to church. You can listen to sermons. You can watch sermons. You can read books. There's lots you can do. But, but what the key component is in all of that is growing in this. All right, and, and so that's why it's so important. That's why uh, part of it, it's not everything, but part of it is being here regularly. For some of y'all that are here all the time, you've heard me preach on everything in Mark, and you're really growing in it. And here we are at the very end. We're almost there. We're going to be done with Mark here in just a couple of weeks. Today, we're going to finish up chapter 15. Before we do, though, I want to say Happy New Year to all of, all of you all. Um, I wasn't here last week. We, we traveled to North Carolina for, for the new year and got to, see, got to see our families. And that's always a, is a good thing and it always kind of gets me emotional and even a little nostalgic. But this year was a little, little bit bigger. I started realizing just how, how far removed I am from, from all things family in North Carolina. It's 2018. I, I graduated high school in 1998. We, we were contacted about me going to my 20th year high school reunion. That's getting up there, right? 
and all of that stuff's on me. My, I have one grandparent living, and that's my sweet grandmother, and she's 84 years old, and my other three grandparents have already passed away, and I got to see her, and uh, that was really nice. My kids got to see her, take pictures with her, and, and then I was thinking about how we had that candlelight service here, and it was now the, the third straight year that we've had the candlelight service on Christmas Eve, and it was outstanding. For those of y'all that made it, it was really, really, really nice. But something else that had me really encouraged about it is that it, it, was, it was more full than this right now. There were a lot of people here for Christmas Eve, and the majority of them were not our church people, which was really, really neat for us. There were tons of guests and friends and family and visitors here on Christmas Eve. I was encouraged by that. One of our church's desires is for our church to be the leading servant in this community. If people need anything, they can look to us. If people are down and out, they can look to us. If people are hurting, they can look to us. If people need prayer, they can look to us. If people need love, they can look to us. If people need God, they can look to us. And that little Christmas Eve service showed me that we're moving in that direction. And I thank God for that. So the Christmas break had me thinking about all those things and I just started realizing, you know, God has brought us a long way. Everybody knows that at the end of one year and the start of another is a time to reflect. And, and, and I want to get you thinking that way too. God has, God has brought us a long way, hasn't he? Just this week, I had a child of mine turn 10, double digits. That means life's moving fast. And some of y'all remember when, when J.J. was born, right? Time is moving. God's brought us a long way. God's brought you a long way. And I want to ask you here today, why has he? Why has God brought you so far? Why has God brought you so far? You've endured a lot. Dealing with you, God's endured a lot. Your family has endured a lot. God's brought you a long way. Some of y'all are now in your mid-20s, and I remember when you were really such wayward teenagers. Some of y'all are now baptized believers, followers of Christ, and I remember when you totally weren't. Some of y'all now love to be here on Sunday mornings thinking, I can't wait to hear from the Gospel of Mark again, right? You have such an appetite now for the Word of God, and you used to not be that way. God's brought us a long way, hasn't he? But for what reason? Well, I think you know the answer, and we're just going to walk right simply into it. He's brought you that far that you would be happy in him that you would love him more, that he would be the most important thing to you. Indeed, he would be really the only thing to you. That he would be your treasure. That you would look back at a, at a season like this and, and be somewhat emotional and think, wow, he really has brought us a long way. Some of y'all now eat nice meals every night, but you remember when you had to eat toast again, Right? God's brought you a long way. Why? That you would love him. That you would say, I've got a father in heaven that will not let me down. 
I've got a God who reigns over me, who is working good in my life, that he would get glory out of it. And you see that so real at the end of a gospel, at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You see that so real here when we get to passages that are just heavy in and of themselves, that Jesus died on the cross. And now today's passage, if you will, is really a basic passage. There's nothing really huge that happens in our passage today, although I want to kind of draw out two points. This is just what happens after somebody dies. You know, the reality is that after somebody dies, they are buried. And typically, people don't watch that. At the funeral home, you can watch all of that, but they will normally ask you to step out while they close the casket and do all that. They take great care. I'm always in there watching. And they take great care of our loved ones, but they ask you to step out. The reality is, is that that person's spirit has gone on. It's just a body here. They're going to be buried in the ground. And this is our passage today of what happens to the Lord Jesus Christ who was crucified on the cross. And while he hung there, he took his last breath. He died Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Not a lot there, is there? Just a reality, just a gut check. When people die, they have to be buried. God, our Lord and Savior Jesus died, and he was to be buried. This passage, though, is so good, even though it's basic, it's in all four Gospels. Matthew tells this story, Mark tells this story, Luke tells this story, and John tells this story. Matthew 27, Luke 23, John 19, and here, Mark 15. I want to make two points today and keep it simple. The first is that I want you to see in Joseph, this guy Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, real faith through life. Number one, real faith through life. The day was Friday. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. I think you know that. That's why we call it Good Friday before Easter. He was raised on the third day, Sunday. They count Friday. They count Saturday. They count Sunday. He was raised on the third day. In our passage, it says it was almost evening. Evening had come. 
And it was the day of preparation. That is the Friday. That's the day before the Sabbath. They are preparing everything because on the Sabbath day, they are not to work. You remember the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And people are not to work on on that day. Sabbath is Saturday. Sunday is Lord's Day. First day of the week. That's the day that believers in the resurrection worship him. Sabbath is Saturday. All right? And the Jews kept the Sabbath. And so the day before the day, you're not supposed to do anything on Saturday. So the day before that, the Friday, is the day that you're supposed to do whatever you need to do. That's the day of preparation. And so that's what it is. It's the day before the Sabbath. And so if you've got to get some things done, you have to do it on that Friday. And so here comes Joseph, verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea. And he comes on the scene and it calls him here a respected member of the council. This is talking about the Sanhedrin. This is talk about those leaders of the Jews, the teachers, the scribes, the Pharisees that were this, this ruling council that made decisions, big heavy decisions, on what the Jewish religion needs to do. And remember, they are the ones who had decided to kill Jesus. They are the ones who had passed him off to Pilate that he would be killed. Remember that? They were the ones, just a couple weeks ago when I preached on this, they were the ones who wanted him killed, but remember, they couldn't kill him. So they had to get him over to the Romans because they were okay with killing him. Remember that? Well, that's who these people are. Joseph of Arimathea is one of them. But look what it says here. This is fascinating. For those of y'all that like the Bible, look at this. He himself was looking for the kingdom of God. Y'all, that means that he was a believer. That means he disagreed with the council that he was a part of. Y'all, that means that this Joseph guy of Arimathea is such a fascinating study. So fascinating, I want to to read to you what all of the other gospel writers say. In Matthew, listen, he says that this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, was rich. Right after he says he's rich, Matthew straight up calls him, he was a disciple of Jesus. Mark says he was looking for the kingdom of God. I think a better translation is he was looking forward to the kingdom of God, which lets us know that he was a believer in God and his kingdom. Matthew says he was rich. Matthew says that he was a disciple of Jesus. And Matthew even says that the tomb that he's going to take Jesus and bury him in was his tomb, which is another sign that he was rich. He had his own tomb. And it was a brand new tomb. It wasn't one that was going to be borrowed or somebody else had already used or owned or whatever. It was one that had been freshly cut. Nobody had ever been in it. That's what Matthew says. Mark here says that he also himself was looking for the kingdom of God. Luke describes this Joseph guy as a good and righteous man. And he goes a little bit further. Listen to this. Luke 23. And he had not consented to their decision and action, it says in Luke 23. For he was looking for the kingdom of God. Wow, we didn't hear about that when they were judging him and sentencing him to death. The passage made it sound like everybody was saying, kill him. But apparently, Joseph of Arimathea was a leader of the Jews. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. But he disagreed with their decision to have him crucified. Remember all those passages where it said they were plotting to kill him, they hated him, they said they got to do away with him, we've got to get rid of this guy. Remember all of that? These gospel writers are telling us that Joseph of Arimathea was a part of that group, but he didn't agree. Luke says he didn't agree with their decision or their action. 
Interesting. John, listen to this, takes it even a step further. John 19. John 19, 39 says, he was a disciple of Jesus secretly, for he was fearing the Jews. Interesting, huh? You know what John says after that? John 19, remember the chapter, John 19 says that when the secret disciple Joseph of Arimathea comes after Christ has died, comes to Pilate and asks for the body, he gets the body, I'm going to talk about that in a second, he gets the body, and it says in John 19, Matthew doesn't mention it, Mark doesn't mention it, Luke doesn't mention it, but it says in John 19 that Nicodemus came and helped Joseph get the body ready to be buried. You remember Nicodemus? Remember John chapter 3 when that leader of the Pharisees came at night to Jesus secretly and had some questions for him and said, how do we inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, you must be born again. You remember that conversation in John chapter 3? You remember that guy who said, born again? You mean get back into my, my mom's belly? And Jesus says, come on, man. Do you really think you're a teacher and leader of the Jews and you don't even understand getting into the kingdom of heaven? Nicodemus said, man, clearly you're from God. Nobody teaches the way you do. So how do I get the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you again, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, how? How do I do that? Jesus said, it's like the wind. The Spirit's got to blow on you or else you're not going to be born again. The Spirit's got to do that in you. And John chapter 3 leaves it at that. Nicodemus leaves that night, and we don't hear much else from him. And then at chapter 19, when Joseph of Arimathea finally comes out boldly saying, I believe in this man, Nicodemus is there with him also believing. Real faith through life. John MacArthur says, these men who had kept their allegiance to Jesus secret during his lifetime then came forward publicly to bury him, while the disciples who had openly followed Jesus were hiding. Now, for those of y'all right now that are going, well, why is that possible? That's not good to keep a secret. How are they, you know, what's going on there? Because I know some of y'all are thinking those things. Remember, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. The Holy Spirit's not coming until Acts chapter two, so they didn't have that full Holy Spirit God power inside of them like we would have now. But notice that this guy, back now at Mark 15, Joseph of Arimathea, is a part of the council, but he is now a believer. He possesses real faith through life. Joseph is an example for us. It says in verse 43 that he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, this is interesting because the Romans didn't like doing this. The Romans were hardcore, they had no mercy, and so when a criminal was punished crucifixion, you know, that's one of the worst ways to die, so when they would crucify somebody, they would hang them up there on the cross and they would just leave them there for a long time. Absolute humiliation. People would walk by and see, body would start to decay, you know, we'll be careful with the kids, bodies would start to decay, birds would come by and they would just hang there and and it was the ultimate way of saying, you getting what you deserve, buddy. 
But the Jews saw that to be too disrespectful. Rome didn't care. The Jews said, that's too disrespectful. We're going to take them down. And so sometimes, just out of respect, they would let the Jews, if a family member or somebody like that just came and said, hey, enough's enough. Please let us have them. Let them give, let's give them an honoring burial. And they would let them. Well, this isn't family. We don't know where the family is. But Joseph of Arimathea comes. He's rich. He can afford to do it. He's got a nice tomb. He's respected. We don't know what Pilate was thinking, knowing that he was a part of the leaders, the Sanhedrin, the ones who asked Pilate to kill him. That's odd. But Joseph comes and says, with boldness, with courage, he says, can I have the body? Well, Pilate's like, well, he's not dead already. It takes a long time. I've shown y'all many times how, how you die. When you are crucified, you don't die from pain. You don't die from blood loss or anything like that. You, bl- you, you die from suffocating. I've shown y'all that, right? You're down like this, and you have to push up to catch your breath, and, and then you fall back down. And so you can, you can hang there suffering for a long time. Sometimes it literally takes days. But you remember that Jesus, because of the scourging, the flogging, had been dealt with so badly he was weak. He was give out. Remember, he was so weak he couldn't carry the cross. Remember that? And so Jesus died rather quickly. Remember, it's their tradition that once it goes on for a long time on the cross, they'll go and break their legs so they can stop pushing up. It kind of speeds the process up a little bit, but they're still suffering. They can't breathe. Remember, they didn't do that to Jesus because he had died so quickly. Remember, instead of breaking his legs, remember what they did to Jesus? They pierced his side. Remember that? To see that he was dead. So when Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and says, uh, can I have the body, please? Verse 44 says, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have died already. And so he says, is he really dead? He calls in the centurion, the Roman centurion that, that literally was there guarding the cross, watching the cross, nailed him to the cross. He asks him, is he dead? Verse 45, and when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen shroud and take him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Y'all know that story. But this is real faith through life for Joseph. And this, is, this is bold, this is confident. Just, just, just think of these three ideas. It seems in all four gospel accounts that, that Joseph's faith is driving him. And in a sense, he's alone in this. Now, we hear that Nicodemus comes, but it's still Joseph coming out of, the, out of the shadows, coming out of hiding, coming out of the secret, saying, I believe in this man. I believe in this man. This man is my Lord. This man is my Savior. I'm not hiding it anymore. I'm going to be committed to him. He comes out, even when nobody else is. Even when the Bible tells us that the disciples ran and hid. It was such a dark time when the leader had died. Joseph comes out, even when it's alone. Think about this. It's real faith through being alone, but it's also real faith in that how courageous he was. He was going against the group that he belongs to. He's a member of the group that had him killed. And so at the same time, while he's going asking for the body, he's also identifying that now I'm no longer in agreement with them. Doesn't the Bible teach us that if you're going to have a real faith, you're going to have to walk away from some things? Doesn't the Bible teach us that in order to turn toward God, We have to turn away from sin. 
Isn't it just true Christianity that says we've got to cut ties with some actions, with some ways we live, with some things we do, with maybe even possibly some people that we associate with in order to really be fully committed? The Bible described him prior to this as secretly following Christ. He was afraid of the Jews, but no longer. Joseph was ready to say, that's my Lord, that's my Savior. That man did not deserve to die, and he was dying for me. And Joseph comes out with a real faith through life. He also is showing here that he believes this guy that died is his God. Joseph is modeling for us a real commitment, a real commitment to Jesus. Now, it says here that he was looking for the kingdom of God. And in keeping with a new year and a first Sunday, I want to ask you that. Are you looking forward to the kingdom of God? Are you focused? Are you ready? Are you wanting this year perhaps to be more for Jesus than any year's ever been before? Are you honest that 2017 was a step in the right direction, perhaps, or maybe a step in the wrong direction, but even possibly a step in the right direction, but you need to go all in? You need to go like Joseph did and say, I want to have a real faith this year. I want to say, Christ is my Lord. My sins are forgiven. I want to follow him. Y'all know what New Year resolutions are, right? And Sometimes we treat a New Year's resolution just like a wish, but I know I'm not going to keep it, right? A lot of people like that. But what a real resolution is, maybe not a New Year's resolution, but what a real resolution is, listen to me, it's a resolve. It's a resolve to do something. That there's a resolve in me that I'm going to change this thing and start doing this thing. Church, I want to ask that we might have some resolve in 2018. And there's a lot of resolve that we need There's a lot of resolve that I need individually. I told Val that I was going to stop drinking Cokes, and yesterday she caught me drinking too. (laughs) January the 6th, and I already got busted by Val. That's not much resolve right there. That's not what I'm talking about at all. When we come to church and we get focused on the Lord and we're looking to the word and we're seeing about him dying and we're looking at a man, Joseph of Arimathea, who's modeling true faith in real life. And I start bringing up resolve, y'all. I'm meaning this stuff matters. I'm meaning parenting matters, neighboring matters, being involved in the community matters, our work matters. I'm talking about how we live matters. And I could think up 100 resolutions right now that I wish we'd have resolve for, but I want to give you three that I want to ask all of us to have. Three New Year's resolutions for me and you. Three resolves that you and I are going to resolve to have in our faith to say, I'm serious about it this year. Number one, speech. The easiest way, the easiest way for you to separate the fake from the real in your life, whether it be family, people in your house, people on your street, people on your team, people at your work, that is the way you talk. Is Christ Lord over your tongue or is he not? Let's change the way we talk. Let's bow our knee to God. Let's be careful to say I want him to be pleased. No gossip, no slander, no foul language. I want my speech to be building up. I want my speech to make a difference. 
When we talk, I want people to know Christ is Lord and he reigns in my heart. Let's resolve as a church to speak like we love God. Number two, purity. People are hurting big time from impurity. People are hurting big time because they're sinning and they think it's right and then they feel so guilty over it. One of the ways that we can so clearly model that we follow Christ is to say, I want to be pure. Do you remember that passage in Timothy where Paul writes to Timothy and tells Timothy, even though he's young, to set an example? You remember that passage, 1 Timothy 4.12, set an example for those? Do you remember one of the ways he said to set an example? He tells the young man, Timothy, to set an example to those around him. You remember one of the things? It is purity. And if you want to follow Christ, then let's start removing all the impurities in our life. Number one, let's resolve to have godly speech. Number two, let's resolve to have pure lives. And number three, let's resolve to be committed to church. I'm not saying committed to church like come all the time. I'm saying committed to church because you understand you're trying to live for God. When the Bible teaches us what it means to be a Christian, it says we've got accountability to other people, we've got responsibility to other people, we've got tasks that we're wanting God to accomplish in the world. And it happens no other way than being involved with church. Not a half-hearted. Some people are happy thinking that they're here two times a month, meaning they go to church 20 times a year. I'm talking about being here, being involved, wanting your kids to be involved, wanting your kids to be disciples, wanting your kids to grow up in the word of God, wanting other people to meet you, wanting other people to be rubbed toward the Lord because of you, wanting to be involved in praying. I'm not saying everybody needs to be doing what I'm doing. I'm saying there's a way for everybody to be majorly, majorly involved. We've got multiple, listen, we've got multiple people in this church, multiple, that go into high schools and middle schools every single week and get to speak to sports teams. You know what's really popular with them is to carry some airheads or carry some Gatorades or carry some popsicles. And anybody in here right now could walk up to Brian yesterday and say, hey man, you going to a school this week? Yeah, how many on the team? 15. All right, I'm gonna give you 15 airheads, right? Airheads are like two for a quarter. So you're talking $3 for you saying, here Brian, pass out airheads to this team next time you're in the locker room. It's just one simple way. But you hadn't been here, you hadn't thought about it, you didn't know about it, you hadn't been thinking about it. You're so in and out. Be committed to church. Let's resolve this year. Dare to care is going like crazy. Each week we're nearly at 40 to 60 homes in Fairdale. They're not allowed to come to Dare to Care unless they live in the 40118. And every single Wednesday we have 40 to 60 homes, households that are here getting a full grocery cart of food. There are countless ways for you to come and spend an hour, spend two hours, spend three hours just being involved with that. I could go on and on and on. You, 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 some of y'all know about all these opportunities. Some of y'all don't. Being here, being involved, hearing me preach, hearing me talk like this will help you. Church, let's resolve in 2018 to let our faith be like Joseph's. Let it be a real faith through life that sees us caring about our speech, caring about the purity of our heart, caring about our church. Joseph steps up what really seems to be the worst time. Jesus had died, now he's going to be buried. J.C. Ryle says, Others had honored and confessed our Lord when they saw him working miracles. But Joseph honored him and confessed himself as a disciple. 
when he saw him as a cold, blood-sprinkled corpse. Others had shown love to Jesus while he was speaking and living, but Joseph showed love when he was silent and dead. What about you? When you get a bonus or your kids are winning homecoming or everything seems to be going right, of course you're going to post on Facebook that God is good, I'm blessed. Who doesn't? All the unbelievers do that much. But what about when 2018 is quickly freezing cold, right? What about when life starts hurting and drama comes and things aren't going well and you get laid off and the kids are acting up and life doesn't look pretty anymore and we've already dropped all of our New Year's resolutions and we're ready to give up and all we do is complain again, right? What about a resolve that says, my Lord died for me and it's fully in perspective and I want to live for him. That's my second point. Number one, real faith through life is what Joseph did. Joseph did. Number two, real death through love is what Jesus did. Real death through love is what Jesus did. You know why they are having this conversation about taking him and burying him? Because he was dead. Y'all, death is the great equalizer it doesn't matter how many houses you have or how much money you have or how many friends you have really doesn't matter how much how many people like you none of that matters when you die death is the time when life is over Jesus had died Why? Why did he die? Well, I want to remind you that the Bible teaches us, and you you may not believe this, your friends may not believe this, there's a lot of people out there that don't believe this. The Bible teaches us that death is the result and consequence of sin. The wages of sin is death. If you sin, you die. If you've sinned, you will die. The reason why we're all dying is because we've all sinned. The Bible teaches this. It teaches it throughout. We could really turn to any book and see that that's what's happening. It teaches that Romans 6.23 is what I quoted to you all, that the wages of sin is death. But I want to remind you that that's also how this whole thing started. Do you remember Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden? Do you remember you can eat from any tree in the garden, just don't eat from that tree? Don't eat from that tree, for the day that you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. You want to disobey God, then you're going to die. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but that's real. That means every funeral you go to, whether it's the nicest guy or the meanest guy, every funeral you go to, the reason why they died is because that they were a sinner, like all of us. And when I die, which now I'm 38, looks like it's going to get here sooner or later, but when I die, and y'all attend, it will be because I've sinned. We die because we sin. Y'all, Jesus never sinned. 
He was always good. He was always obedient. He was always right. He never sinned. So why did he die? Death, real death through love. God tells us that God sent his son to earth. He lived so that he could die for us. When Christ was hanging on the cross, he didn't have sin. He was sinless. He would have hung there living forever. But when he was on the cross, God took our sins and put them on Jesus. He imputed our sins onto Jesus. And when Jesus became our sin, God punished him. He died for our sins. Why did he do that? Because God is so loving. God demonstrated his love to us. God has so much love for us that it says greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his enemies. Those that have sinned against God, like you and like me, God died for us. And this passage here at the end of Mark chapter 15, literally the very last verses before it all shines bright with the resurrection. In many ways, as low and dark as it could be, there's really nobody around except Joseph of Arimathea. He was a secret disciple himself. Now he's modeling real faith, but he steps out and says, can I have his body? And Pilate wants to make sure that he's dead. Oh, he was really dead. Pilate thought he wouldn't be dead, but he is dead. You know, there's some people out there, I don't know if you know any, but there's a lot of people out there that try to say that the resurrection's not real. Oh, it's real. They say the resurrection is not real because they say he didn't really die. In this passage, listen, you've got Pilate saying, oh, he's not dead yet. Let's go check. Hey, we check to see if he's dead. Come back. Yeah, he's dead. Okay. You got the centurion saying he's dead. You got Pilate saying he's dead. You got Joseph saying, hey, he's dead. Can I have him? You got three witnesses right there to the truth that he was dead. He wasn't sick or passed out and he just came back alive. He was dead. And God raised him up. Real death through love. Turn with me to John chapter 11 and we're going to finish there. John chapter 11 and we'll finish there. Number one, there's a real faith through life like Joseph had. Number two, there's a real death through love like Jesus did. And I want to ask you here at the end, if you'll have a real faith because you're so in tune with Christ's real death. Are you here today saying, man, I know, I know I sin. I know I've sinned. And while you stand guilty and convicted of that, it doesn't lead you to depression and ready to quit. It leads you to Christ where there's love and hope and mercy. Do you have a real faith because of Christ's real death? John chapter 11 has a picture of somebody else dying and it brings faith into us. I just want you to read with me. John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So listen to me. That's why I'm reading this at the end. You have death, and Jesus is wanting there to be faith. Death, And Jesus is wanting there to be faith, okay? But let us go to him. Verse 16, so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Folks, I want to ask you the same question. I want us to start 2018 with a real faith. Do you believe that your death has a comfort and answer to it because of Christ's death? Do you believe that all of your sins, your sinful life, your sinful heart, your disobedience, your waywardness from God, do you believe that every bit of that is answered in the work of Christ? That Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you, for your sins, because of the great love of God. And I want to ask you here today, do you believe it? Will you believe it? Do you believe in him? If you've never committed yourself to Christ, do it today. If you're not committed to Christ now, do it today. There's not a better time then January the 7th of 2018 to get right with God. Believe in him now. Become a Christian. Follow Christ. Get yourself focused on God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Mark chapter 15. Thank you, God, for the real faith that we see in Joseph, and thank you for the real death that we see through Jesus. Jesus really died for our sins. 
God, I pray that we would have resolve in us to say, I want to believe, I do believe, and I want my life to look like I believe. I want everything in my life, my speech, my purity, my church attendance, to come under the belief in Christ. Father, I pray that you would work that in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you've never...